Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 271 for Monday, November 13th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixelris, and joining me under a secret identity is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> I really need to come up with a better secret identity than uh, Joel Duggan. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of kind of an obvious one. Uh, speaking of obvious uh, secret identities, we spent the render distance talking about the Marvels, Invincible, Vox Machina, Hamilton even. Uh, you'll have to listen to connect the dots. Uh, and it all started with lessons in chemistry. So there's a bunch of things that we've been watching and talking about. And the render distance is the extended version of the podcast. You can get that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. It is available to our paid members. And thanks to our paid members, we are doing something later in the month called the chunk mail dispenser. And that is the all email episode that's next week. And then later later in the month we have the monthly minecraft hangout and that is going to be usually on the last saturday but folks can keep an eye on the discord for a date and time that's where we hang out with members of our discord and talk about what they have been building in minecraft and in the meantime we get to talk about what we've been building in minecraft uh today's discussion is obviously going to focus on the snapshot and trial chambers but before all that how is west hill going joel West Hill is going slowly, which is the opposite of what you want to have happen on a three plus year old build. <laughs> and I have uh, really not anything grandiose to report. I had to spend a good chunk of my weekend gathering resources from a mangrove swamp. That is still a pain in the butt. I am welcoming any suggestions that how to make that easier. But uh, it was at least pleasant because uh, Alistair has returned to the server recently and has never been to our mangrove swamp. So I took him, uh, we did a stream together, had the proximity chat going on in game, and it made, you know, the hour or so of gathering mangrove roots, muddy mangrove roots, mud and uh, mangrove wood a lot easier to have someone to talk to about all kinds of nerdy stuff. So that was a fun time, but it did mean that I spent a half of my time this weekend gathering materials for the um, marsh that I'm going to be putting to the north of the curtain wall. And uh, I'll include some screenshots, of course, in the show notes this week. And essentially, the proof of concept that I did along the East Farm Road a couple of weeks ago worked out very well. And I'm now basically copying and pasting that idea into a much larger, it's about three times larger uh, space in front of the, the wall. And it's going to do a couple things. It makes the wall feel a lot taller. It's going to make the wall feel like it's been there for a while and the the town has kind of like nestled into the surrounding area and it's going to drain into a nearby river i'm still working out some of the details you'll see in some of the top down shots where i'm just i'm trying to figure out how to adjust things and make it look believable the fact that the the land there is low actually makes sense i don't know how structurally sound it would be to put a giant wall on top of earth that would potentially be this soft so I'm going to try to do something else along the bottom of the wall, probably with like mossy cobble and try to look like it's been piled up and some sort of, you know, breakwater or something has been installed to make it feel a lot more um, sturdy. The idea is that a marshland in front of your wall would deter anybody trying to come up and attack the wall because they can't get anywhere near it before being knee deep in mud. So it would be a bad idea to try and run at that wall. Uh, directly so uh, it's going to do two things it's going to decorate the area means i don't have to cover it in like bushes and things and it will eventually look pretty cool but uh i'm taking some more in progress screenshots so you can see like each process now of like flooding the whole thing putting in the muddy mangrove roots in the mud and and i'll 
obviously do a foliage pass on top of this. So I hope it's going to look cool. It's provided some cool views as you approach the front of the uh, of the the town. Uh, I had to expand it. I had it a little bit smaller, but you couldn't see it from the road just because of how low everything is. And so I need to I need to expand it a little bit. And uh, it's coming together. It's just it's taking a long time because the other one was time consuming but rewarding. And this is the same. It's just that it's three times the size. I think it's looking solid so far, though. Like just the the Thanks, the randomness of the patterning that you have going on, um, like it makes a lot of sense. And having seen the results of the previous one, I think this one is uh, is is coming together pretty well. It's is the challenge of building over such a large area, though, and having to do that mental mathematics of multiplying all of the resources you'll need, especially if you're getting them from somewhere as uh yeah tricky to gather stuff from as a as a mangrove swamp you've got to be very targeted about what you're acquiring while you're there and yeah that can be a a real pain if you don't need all of the leaves and the wood and everything but you are just looking for the roots and uh, chopping down the trees i mean i was also low on mangrove wood anyway so and be, because i don't ever gather a lot of it because it's a pain mm -hmm. and uh i and i have a full shulker box of mangrove leaves which are very useful and i quite enjoy but i don't i don't need more <laughs> yeah <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh so yeah so alistair and i were, were taking down the trees and we're trying to do it in a way that we don't leave a bunch of trees floating with just like the roots being chopped away so um we're, it, it took a while, but I did kind of remember about halfway through the gathering sessions, like, oh yeah, I wasn't on the ground really gathering muddy mangrove roots. It's a lot faster to just gather mud and roots separately and then craft stuff as you need it. Yeah. Uh, and that way you just bring back a shulker box each and then just craft, you know, a stack of things as you go. And if, if any tip so far uh, has kind of risen to the top of my brain, if you think about this like Tetris, I think everybody at some point has seen Tetris and understands the shapes that are available in Tetris. And uh, in this kind of situation for me, I'm just trying to make sure that none of the shapes that I'm making and I'm focusing on the blue shapes. So I'm not really focusing on the, how I'm putting in the mud. I'm focusing on what are the shapes of the blue that remains, because that's really what you end up seeing more of when you're looking at this, because on top of a lot of the brown is going to be green bushes and grass and all this other stuff. And so I find if you focus on the blue shapes, and for me, it's like a, a three block shape like an L and a two block kind of in a straight line, either, you know, north, south or east, west. And as long as I'm not putting those in the same orientation too close to one another where it looks repetitive, I find that you can you can get through it pretty quick. It's just it's a lot of looking down. And I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I find when I do big projects like this that aren't just a blanket of of blocks, like it's one thing to dig out the area. It's another thing if you're putting in like a stone road or if you're building something in the nether that requires like a big blanket of blocks. But when you're doing something like this that requires a lot of like turning or odd block placement i find that i get a little bit of vertigo if i'm like staring down for a couple hours so i kept the stream short and I, I was actually working on some satisfactory stuff this weekend too so it was a nice break from like staring down and placing mud for like an hour and a half to <laughs> to just take a break and go do something else yeah i don't know if i get vertigo but i definitely whenever i'm harvesting something like sand or terracotta when you're doing a lot of side to side sweeping motions with a haste beacon or just insta mining mm -hmm. resources mm -hmm. i find that that triggers motion sickness in me in a way that just regular minecraft gameplay doesn't so yeah. i always try and do some of that mixed in with a bit of variety like i'll i'll gather sand for a couple of hours and then i'll go and play some minecraft bingo so that i'm doing something a little bit different with my my eyes but uh, yeah. yeah like i can kind of see how looking down at that stuff just kind of 
it, it gets you a little bit dizzy after a while and not knowing which way is up and down and everything because the brain does weird stuff when you're looking at visual stimulus like this and if you're that immersed in it and concentrating on it yeah i can i can see that being an issue but i do really appreciate the tip of looking at the negative space in an area like mm -hmm. this because that's that's really smart it's going to be the brighter of the two materials that you're working with and so more often than not the brain is going to focus on that rather than on the darker materials so i think that's a, that's a really important tip and hopefully that's going to be useful for anybody else who's thinking of building something similar so what have you been up to in minecraft this week uh, an eclectic mix of stuff, really. Uh, I went looking for a mushroom island because I needed some mycelium for my storage system. Realized I hadn't really spoken about mushroom islands yet. Uh, I found one amidst a uh, frozen ocean biome as well. So I was able to mix that in with talking about uh, packed ice and blue ice and how difficult it is to farm ice. Although I am now looking forward to auto crafting being a part of that because I feel like if you can have an AFK ice farm that then crafts the ice into blue ice for you, makes it a lot more viable in the future. So looking forward to the crafter once again for that one. Um, but then from there, I returned to the base and started up farms for a few things that I, I'm just kind of ticking off boxes for like, what resources don't I have in my storage system in larger quantities? What do I think I will need in larger quantities later? Um, so pointed dripstone was a big one because that leads into renewable lava. You can turn mud into clay and a few other bits and pieces. Plus, obviously, crafting dripstone blocks, although I'd probably just end up buying them from stonemasons in the end. Um, but yeah, that was something else I could do with the space that I built out in the factory I'd built in around my mud machine as well. Because I decided I'll probably leave myself enough room to expand into a couple of things in there later. And the pointed dripstone and the mud factory just kind of went well together pretty pretty easily um and in the background i'm drafting ideas for a build project um that's kind of like i, I think that the the best inspiration i can find for it is in a game called near automata which i've been playing recently there's an area called the copied city which is effectively like a modern european looking city but everything in the environment has no texture it's all just pure white and there's a reason for it to have been created in game but the overall impression is that it's like a a mock-up of an environment before the artist has decided to add anything in and I think it suits Minecraft build styles actually fairly well because a lot of the environment is blocky and cuboid and there are strange cubes just kind of dotted around the place. And it's the kind of thing that I'm thinking if I can acquire enough, you know, white concrete and quartz and a few other blocks for detail, I can create a reasonable facsimile of a city just looking at shape and kind of doing something similar to what I did with my museum build in Empire Season 2 where I mocked up the shape out of just natural stone blocks first and focused on the character that that build had without any texture. And in this case, I'm not even planning on adding in the texture later. I'm just trying to see how far we can stretch one particular palette of building blocks and the scale that I build on is going to be a little larger and the overall detail is going to be different depending on what blocks are available like there are no quartz fences or walls or anything so i might have to make a couple of concessions to something like diorite maybe um, but i'm just kind of like spitballing ideas for builds i want to do something that i haven't done before something that feels a bit exciting but something that's kind of a challenge and also a lesson in that you can build something like this just focusing on shape and still have it look really interesting at the end of the day 
That's really cool. That's a unique idea. I'd imagine the thing that you'll run into is is having a block palette that has a lot of sub blocks. Like you'll need yeah. to make sure that you have a lot of variety in shape. But yeah. the scale, I think, will be the big thing because what you'll lack in you know granular detail because of Minecraft being so blocky. If you're building quite large, then even just like a one block difference to create like a pillar instead of having that be a wall depth, you know, I think you'll end up with some some opportunities there to do some some cool stuff. When it comes to stuff like this and windows, or would you be using like would you use glass or like are you allowing yourself to go into like a different material or just kind of keep it all the same color? I think I'd probably end up using some of the grayscale glass, like white clear gray and, yeah. and and black and i think those could all work quite well even if you're trying to simulate window frames within that if you just mix in some black and gray glass together you'll get the joins between the pane textures and mm -hmm. I, I think i think that could work out quite well i don't have any kind of connected glass texture pack that i'm working with on survival guide it's still all default vanilla of course textures yeah. so like yeah i i could i could maybe have some window frame elements in there I think iron trapdoors are close enough to a white color palette that I could maybe get away with using some of those for detail mm -hmm. in like balcony areas and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I am I am sort of loosely in the in the planning processes of this, but I haven't quite settled on where I'm going to build it and what I'm going to do with it. Like in my head, because the sky of the copied city in Near Automata is also white, I'm imagining doing this in the nether with the fog from like a basalt delta biome and some oh, of the like neat. falling particles and stuff. But I know that I'd be building with a palette that would be not very ghast proof, um, would be difficult to spawn proof against other mobs walking around that might right. potentially like spoil the, the overall impression. But then <laughs> building this in the overworld also feels like kind of a cool idea because there the sky would be blue and it'd be the only colorful thing you could see if you were surrounded by all of these white buildings. And so there could be this interesting idea of being able to play with contrast and how it blends into the environment around it is it turning the environment around it white you know are there then white trees and at that point i'd start pining for the uh white leaves that you get when it snows in bedrock edition right but like there's there's some options there for some interesting ways of incorporating it with the landscape that i'd kind of enjoy i think you could also do something that i've seen in some of the let's plays recently where people have created ginormous backdrops kind of like a disney backlot where you've got the blue sky in most places but there might be one main street or one main angle and you just kind of create one giant white background you know that when you're standing on the street and you just you can't see the sky you know when you're taking a screenshot that could be really interesting too mm -hmm. yeah yeah so there's there's options there and I'm, I'm just kind of working with the idea at the moment but uh looking, yeah. looking forward to seeing where i can bring it in it's also just going to prompt a bunch of stuff that i will need to do in the near future like villager trading and piglin bartering and now moving up in my list of priorities purely because i need that much quartz so right we'll we'll see where it goes looking forward to reporting on that in the near future but in the meantime we have some other stuff to report on because minecraft java edition snapshot 23w45a was released this last week it was published on november 8th 2023 and included trial chambers for the first time to quote the article trial chambers are designed to be challenging moments of combat and exploration hidden medium deep below the surface of the overworld trial chambers bring new decorative and lighting blocks new trials spawners to deliver a different style of multi-mob fights, and the bushy-browed Breeze, a new mob specific to Trial Chambers, which will add quite a bit of chaos to your combats. 
So, experimental features in 23W45A included Trial Chambers, a new structure in the overworld where players can explore and take on combat challenges during the mid-game. Trial Chambers are made out of a variety of copper and tough blocks and can be found in different sizes from large to small. They're a relatively common find throughout the deep slate layer of the underground. The layout of each trial chamber is procedurally generated and can include traps, reward chests, and a variety of combat spaces. Supply chests can be found between different rooms and give you blocks and items which help you navigate your trials. Reward chests are guarded by challenges in each room and can be a source of many high-level enchanted books and equipment. The loot found in reward chests is still being iterated on and is absolutely not final. Each trial chamber will include trial spawners with a melee, small melee, or ranged category. So the melee ones include zombies, husks, and slimes. The small melee category includes spiders, cave spiders, baby zombies, and silverfish. And the ranged category includes skeletons, strays, and skeletons armed with poison-tipped arrows. Each trial spawner category only uses one mob for the entire structure when generated and those are randomized for each trial chamber. For example, one trial chamber might only spawn zombies, cave spiders and strays, while another might spawn slimes, silverfish and skeletons. The exceptions come with some trial spawners in unique rooms which will always spawn the breeze mob. So to talk more about the trial spawners, these are a new variant of monster spawners that eject rewards upon completion and can have variable levels of challenge in multiplayer. The challenge level will increase for each new player a trial spawner notices nearby. A challenge level does not decrease until it is reset during a trial spawner's cooldown. Unlike normal spawners, a trial spawner will spawn a limited number of mobs proportional to the current challenge level. It can only spawn a mob at positions that are within line of sight, and can spawn a mob regardless of any light level requirements the mob have. The spawn mobs are persistent, and once they are defeated, the trial spawner ejects a set of rewards proportional once again to the current challenge level. After the rewards have been ejected, the trial spawner goes into cooldown for 30 minutes by default, during which it will no longer spawn mobs. Trial spawners cannot be crafted or obtained by players in survival. Instead, they can be found naturally placed throughout trial chambers. The spawners are extremely slow to mine and resistant to explosions. They won't drop even when you have silk touch. When placed in creative, trial spawners have no mob types set by default, and that can be set by interacting with it while holding a spawn egg. You can also do a bit of command fudging and data merging in order to get it to do a bit more of what you want. In the meantime, creative and spectator players cannot be detected by trial spawners. One item that can be obtained from them right now is a trial key, but trial keys currently do not have any functionality that is presumably being kept back for a later release. In the meantime, the Breeze is one of the things you can fight via a Trial Spawner spawn. It is a cunning, hostile mob that you can find spawning in some rooms within the Trial Chambers. The Breeze moves primarily by leaping around the target, sometimes jumping quite long distances. It's an aggressive adversary and shoots volatile wind energy in the form of wind charge projectiles at the targets. The wind charges deal a small amount of damage when colliding directly with an entity, and after colliding with an entity or block, they produce a wind burst which knocks back entities in the area several blocks. Wind bursts also have the effect of activating certain blocks. Non-iron doors and trap doors end up being flipped along with fence gates, buttons can be pressed, levers can be flipped, bells will ring and swing, and lit candles, both standalone and on a cake, will be extinguished by a windburst. Windbursts currently don't have any effect on iron doors, iron trap doors, or any block that's being held in its position by a redstone signal. 
There are a few issues that they already know about with trial chambers, such as some corridors ending with a dead end, and aquifers, lush caves, and skulk veins sometimes intersect with the trial chamber. Along with these, there are some changes in 23W45A, including that monster spawners now render their inner faces when you look inside them. A few technical changes in 23W45A, the datapack version is now 24, which adds the breeze mob and trial spawners as experimental features, increases the maximum value of jigsaw structure variable size from 7 to 20, and adds trial chambers copper bulb degradation structure processor list. The resource pack version is now 21, the uniform font has now been updated to use Unifont 15.1.04. The only supported texture format is now .png, and they've added entity models and textures for experimental breeze mobs, and a shader along with that as well. There are also some bug fixes which we will leave to the Minecraft.net changelog where you'll find a full list of those, which are mostly minor cosmetic things and a couple of things they wanted to touch up about the trial chamber experience. The official Minecraft server list is live. Mojang Studios has partnered with GamerSafer to create the official Minecraft server list, which you can find at findmcserver.com. The site has been operational for a while already, but was officially announced via Minecraft.net on November 7th. The goal is to make it easier for players and parents to find the right server for both Java and Bedrock Edition. The official Minecraft server list quote unquote, won't have ads or let server owners pay to have their service listed. Instead, servers must meet certain requirements to make the cut. Firstly, they have to prove that they can comply with the Minecraft usage guidelines. Secondly, they need to provide an official contact information, the purpose of the server, who it's for, and foundational community management practices that set the tones, values, and principles of the server. While the official Minecraft server list is another great step in making your Minecraft experience the best it can be, it's important to note that the official Minecraft server list does not guarantee safety. Online safety requires constant parental involvement and child education, among other efforts. The site cannot replace those elements, but is there to help inform you on your journey. So as we mentioned, thoughts about trial chambers in the main discussion. I've personally had a chance to test them in both single player and multiplayer settings now. Um, so I'm excited to talk a little bit more about those. So the other thing, the official Minecraft server list, was kind of a surprise <laughs> to me. Um, but from what I've seen, it makes sense for them to partner with uh, Game Safer as an online safety specialist, more or less. Um, and this would be a lot of work for Mojang to maintain on their own. And I could see a lot of potential criticism leveled at like, well, why are you doing this and not, you know, putting more money into developing the game itself? So I, I, I can see why it makes sense for them to clarify that it's a partnership with uh, with Game Safer. And with the popularity of Minecraft, uh, this really lines up with a lot of uh, I will I will say growing pains, but like Minecraft is already huge, so this is not news really. But it reminds me of the huge amount of community engagement required for servers in game spaces like World of Warcraft and maybe other MMOs. Yeah, sure. Now, WoW is maybe not the best example because, of course, that was a paid service. Like you had to pay a monthly subscription to be on one of these official WoW supported servers, and anything any server that wasn't on that list was a break of the terms of service of playing WoW. So you're playing at your own risk if you're playing on a non-server, uh, uh, paid server. Uh, so anything free would be like basically a bad idea. 
Um, but you know, Guild Wars uh, 2 is an example of servers that have no subscription fee. You have to buy the game or at least the expansions. The base game might be free now, but you know, you can get into those servers for free, which means the population is going to be a lot greater uh, as you would find in a Minecraft server situation where there is no cost to this. And so you're going to end up with a, a higher population because of the free nature of it all. And um, having an official partner to, to help um, moderate and, and manage all of this makes sense uh, because, again, it's one of those things that, you know, the volume is just so high. When you look at a game like Minecraft, that's like the top of the world in terms of, you know, retail sales. Uh, that's I, the numbers just must be astronomical to consider. And the percentage, even if it is small of bad actors in the space, when you've got 300 million copies sold, that percentage is just a giant number, even if it's only 1%, right? Yeah. Like it's just, it's just a lot to deal with. And so it's, uh, it's nice to see them put the information out there. I'm wondering if this might be a benefit for say creative map makers or you know uh, different people that are creating different things for minecraft in the minecraft marketplace because if the only place that you can find your hot new map your cool new parkour course that you've created is on one of the official deemed safe you know or meets these requirements minecraft servers then that might be a nice peace of mind for parents or kids or just people in general that don't want to deal with internet crap you know and if that's where you can find that cool new thing that you've made, then maybe that's a, a good way to interact with it. Or um, even if it's like leading people to other Minecraft marketplace stuff that you might want, like skins and things like that. So it, it could end up being good for creators as well. Yeah, and there are already a, already a few um, partnered servers on Bedrock Edition, which I think you could get to through the multiplayer menu, like folks like Hypixel and Mineplex had features there. I'm not sure if that's still the case. I haven't opened up Bedrock Edition for a while, but it seems like this is a logical extension of that and one that suits the more kind of user-created stuff on Java Edition quite heavily. Um, but yeah, the the breadth of public Minecraft servers out there and, and the potential for volatility uh, must make this a very challenging thing to maintain. So I think the important thing to note from the official article is that final sort of caveat where it's like this is not a guarantee of safety uh constant parental involvement is recommended i mean online safety requires it is what they say and like child education that's that's kind of important for them to uh be able to understand like you said bad actors potential like for exploitation uh of any kind just like you know financial even you know just the, the idea of paying for membership to certain servers and, and what that means is is something that players and parents will need to educate themselves about if they're getting into this sort of public arena um so expect teething problems is ultimately my takeaway from this uh, since it's officially endorsed by mojang as well I'm expecting lots of like gotcha videos from YouTube mm. creators and other people trying to stir up drama of like, you know, we found the one thing that like slipped through the net, especially since this is a company. I don't know if Mojang have worked together with them before, but if it's being outsourced to a third party, then those people are going to have to understand 
their community guidelines very thoroughly, and there will be a couple of slip-ups in the early days whilst they're still trying to iron out exactly what they're looking for in something that's violating those community guidelines. So yeah, they have obviously been working on this behind the scenes for a while, the site has been live for a while and has only just been officially announced, so hopefully they've ironed out most of the wrinkles, but yeah, expect a little bit of teething problems from anything that is this large and this public with a player base this big. And you can see the stepping stone from the player moderation tools that they introduced in the game last year or this year, earlier this year, I guess. And this is just another tool. Like it's it's not a, a catch-all, it's not a fix for everything, but they're just, hey, here's yet another tool that we are providing for Minecraft players to help increase the likelihood of a safe and pleasant you know, play experience. And I think that that's the key takeaway is that it's a tool. And, you know, you're going to, if you are being a diligent tool user, just like if you're in a wood shop, like wear your safety goggles, know how to use the table saw. <laughs> yeah. Right. And if you, if you go into this blind expecting the server list to just solve all your problems, well, that's like going into a wood shop with no training and expecting not to have things go wrong or be unsafe, you know? And I, and I think that, you know, focusing on it as a tool and realizing that they're going to go up against, like you said, those people that are going to be like doing the gotcha videos. And I just, I would encourage people just to ignore that kind of stuff. Yeah, take it with a grain of salt, at least. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, excited to talk about Trial Chambers. But first of all, we have some chunk mail for this week. And we have one that's unrelated, and we have one that we're actually going to fold into the main discussion. So uh, yeah, I think we can start off with uh, the first one, if you'd like to read this one, Joel. If you would like to email the show, please send it along to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep them short, sweet, and on point, and increases the likelihood that they will get on the show. This one is from Raptor 91 The subject is chiseled blocks. Hey guys, my wife and I are new to your podcast, but not new to Minecraft. We are both excited, as always, for new building blocks because we are both artists by trade and as well as in Minecraft, and we look forward to creating new fantastical builds. Chiseled copper in particularly is what piqued our interest, and we look forward to chiseled iron, gold, and iron and gold grates in different patterns. Please and thank you, Mojang. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. <laughs> I'm adding that myself because that was obviously a, <laughs> a plead for Mojang. Mm -hmm. uh, with the quote-unquote tinkering theme of 1.21, we were thinking instead of, or in addition to the stone cutter, it would be so much more enjoyable to chisel blocks with a handheld tool with a neat interactive animation and other activities in the game, uh, like making path in grass, shearing sheep, or using the brush for archaeology. Speaking of archaeology, I believe it is a tool that could be added to the tool set and gameplay of archaeology to chisel out items in maybe suspicious stone, question mark. Extracting ancient items from amber, what if players just wanted new creative ways to make cave entrances by being able to chisel stones or make some cave ruins. We would love to hear your feedback on our ideas and happy building to you both. The artists are alive at the end of the email. I'd like to point that out. <laughs> yes, yeah, not, not, not every email has to end in a death message, although it's, it's happened quite frequently, more frequently than we'd like to admit. I feel like we should have like a days since last accident thing that we just reset every week after reading the email segments. Um, but yeah, so we have, we have a suggestion about using a, a chisel to actually chisel the chiseled blocks in the game, of which there are many at this point. We have um, you know, chiseled stone bricks has been around for a very long time now. 
there's chiseled quartz, there are chiseled copper blocks on the way, chiseled tough in addition to that, you know, there's so many, um, so many chiseled blocks in the game, and yet many of these are crafted using um, the stone cutter or a crafting table, often comprised of a couple of slabs, and so, yeah, the, uh, the implication here is that an actual chisel uh, would make a, a good deal of sense as a tool. What do you think, Joel? I like the idea of getting more blocks from iron and gold. I, I it makes sense. Like it, it feels in line with with what we're getting with copper. And I guess because we're using iron to make a lot of tools and things, right? And hoppers and that kind of stuff. We don't really get a lot of blocks or decorative blocks because we don't have you know iron stairs and all that kind of thing. Um, but I like, I just like that idea because it, it makes sense with the ores that are smelted. So you've got, um, iron and gold and copper. Uh, I would exclude redstone and lapis because it doesn't make sense to make like lapis grates, you know, but, but iron and gold, uh, although gold is kind of soft. So I don't know about that. Um, I know it won't be something that would happen, but I, you know, you were just talking about using uh, iron trapdoors because they're close to white in your build. I would love to see a texture shift from the shiny iron blocks we have in the game to match the cast iron cauldron and anvil. And if we got a block family expansion to these things, then those could still be in the game, but maybe they could be called polished iron blocks. And then you could have like a cast iron block and have like iron fences or iron, um, like, a what am I, the word I'm looking for stairs and like that kind of stuff could be more of a, of a wrought iron or a, or a cast iron look. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to run with this because it, my literal brain sometimes m makes me go this way in that gold and all of this stuff. I feel like gold is so bright and shiny. You're just going to end up with like bright yellow box with slightly different patterns on them. But I was wondering, because gold is soft and generally not used as a building material, it would be really neat if gold was something that you could inlay into other blocks. So maybe chiseled gold isn't necessarily just a gold block with some patterns on it. Maybe chiseled gold has to be uh, combined with another block like stone or deep slate to get a block that has multiple colors in it. In the same way that we've got the um, smithing uh, table to do uh templates on our armor now right with smithing templates mm -hmm. it would be cool if you could use gold and say combine it with stone to get like a chiseled gold block but it would be it on the the pattern and the color the texture would be a combination of like stone and gold or deep slate and gold or like insert whatever it is here that you want to put in there that could be really fun because generally speaking the blocks tend to have like a single color identification even though there's, there's multiple colors in the textures but usually there's not, you know, a, a block that has a, a really high contrast, unless you're looking at something like a uh, glazed terracotta that has multiple colors on it. A lot of the building blocks tend to be like different tones of gray, but mostly gray or mostly brown, that kind of stuff. So that could be kind of fun uh, if we went that way. Um, I don't see the in-game animation thing for chiseling blocks, at least not as the only way to make it because that would remove it from potential use in the crafter, right? Yeah. You don't want to remove that from the crafting table interface. I think it's very built into Minecraft and very important that the intuitive nature of how you craft things remains the way that it is. I could see them maybe adding it as a, a fun way to do it on the side, but um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. 
And uh, I wanted to double check this before we get into it. But as an archaeology note, Archaeoplays, uh, a real archaeologist, uh, has confirmed that it's the trowel, not a chisel, as the most common use, uh, tool used in archaeology. So I, again, like I feel like the chisel, it, it like it invites something in the mind that I don't think Minecraft wants to get into in vanilla Minecraft, which is like breaking down blocks into smaller and smaller bits with a tool. Uh, I think that the the way that things are crafted in the game now with stairs and slabs and things like that in the crafter and the the crafting table, I think that's probably where they're going to stay. Uh, if you're not already aware, though, uh, to, to to let Pfizer Raptor know, uh, you might want to look at either Chisel Reborn. Uh, we'll have a link to that on modernth.com or Chisels and Bits. Uh, Chisels and Bits is available for both fabric and forge, depending on the mod you're, you know mod pack you're using. Uh, but both of those mod packs provide uh, a bunch of different experiences with different blocks. The Chisel Reborn works a lot more like vanilla Minecraft and just allows you to use the chisel to create a bunch of blocks in an interface that you can then choose to, to build with. Uh, but then Chisels and Bits has a lot more of that granular creativity where you can go and create like a banister or a fence or something along those lines within the mod pack. So uh, I don't know if you're going to stick to vanilla and you're just kind of hoping for this kind of stuff to come to vanilla Minecraft. But if you really want to go and explore that idea of using a chisel, then there's a couple of mods out there that might be good for you. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had experience with chisels and bits in the past and it's it's fun to play around with, but it does lead to you spending absolutely hours on just like two or three blocks when you could be doing like an entire build. Um, so yeah, it's fun. Um, so a couple of things from this email that I pulled out. First of all, the idea of it being an additional tool is a tricky one. I think honestly, Mojang was pushing it slightly by imagining that the crab claw from the mob vote was going to be another tool players would want to have around because at this point, any additional tools are going to have to be pretty niche in their uses, like shears or the brush for archaeology, because otherwise players run into issues with hotbar management very quickly. You see a lot of players always running around with at least a pickaxe, a sword, a bow, an axe, and a shovel so that they can break any blocks and still do combat. And that means that five of your hotbar slots are taken up by default. You've only got four left. And if you start putting in things like food and torches, then you've only got a couple of spaces left. And from there, maybe fireworks for elytra flight and suddenly you've only got one block left. And so that's the spot where another tool would end up going and then you'd have no room for the blocks that you were building with, for example. You'd have to get very used to swapping stuff in and out of your inventory and there's limitations on how you can use pick block and stuff. So unless it's something you only use in very specific circumstances, they have to be very careful about how they add new tools. In terms of having the chisel as a usable thing in game as well, I recently saw a post, I think this was on the Minecraft Reddit when I was browsing there, people were wondering why, even though there are multiple diamonds within the texture of a diamond ore block, why is it the player can only get a single diamond out of it? And I think the main idea behind that is that obviously it's it's a video game, you know, you just kind of get the one diamond um, because you're breaking something and it's like loot that pops out of it. But also maybe because you're using a pickaxe, which is not always the most delicate of tools for extracting gems in, you know, a perfect cut form like what we get with a diamond. So I think the first leap players would make if they saw a chisel chipping away at stone as a tool is, why can't I use this to pry the diamonds out of a diamond ore and be able to get more out of them without fortune? And so that's kind of um, using 
internal logic and player logic just to kind of work around the notion of basic game mechanics like you have to use a fortune pickaxe to get more diamonds out of an ore block i think there's there's a couple of assumptions and logical leaps that players are going to make if you implement something like a chisel unless it's very clear what it's used for and first of all using a chisel to create the existing chiseled stone blocks it has to come at the cost of moving them out of the crafting table or the stone cutter or you have to add it as a redundant third option for being able to chisel those blocks and if you take a look at stone bricks and chiseled stone bricks side by side they actually aside from using the same stone texture don't look very much like each other so the notion of setting down a block of stone bricks using an item on them as though like say you're using an axe on a log to get a stripped log right that kind of transforms the block but in a way that feels understandable whereas if you use a chisel on a stone brick and you get a chiseled stone brick out of it you kind of go how did we get from one to the other there how did like how did one of those turn into the other thing when the brick pattern is kind of completely different to what you get from chiseled stone brick so there's a few weird leaps that you have to make in the textures i don't know if it was chiseled reborn which i've mentioned or whether it was another mod that was part of all of fabric when i was playing that mod pack but i preferred that way of doing chiseled blocks we didn't get sub blocks i don't think from that pack but what it did was give you a bunch of full minecraft blocks that had a various you know, patterns on them. And you'd get like, you know, 12 uh, out of something like stone. In addition to like the normal um, chiseled stone, you'd have like several other different kinds of chiseled stone. And I preferred that kind of interface because it felt a little bit more like vanilla Minecraft rather than kind of using the chisel in game to like noodle something down because ultimately you end up with something that looks too high res for Minecraft mm -hmm. because Minecraft, even though the blocks themselves have got, you know, like a 16 pixel um texture on them um is it 16 or eight? yeah yeah i, I guess it's 16. it's 16 for a standard it's block 16. yeah yeah 16 for center block so but that means that if you're doing like a pixel based you know chisel knockdown then you've got a resolution of 16 pixels which really feels too like granular for minecraft because like the smallest thing we get is i think i guess iron bars but like for the sake of argument you know common building things are like fences maybe even lightning rods and they're at least a two by two pixel like mm -hmm. you never see like a one pixel thing in minecraft the closest you get is like chains but then they're not even really meant to be pixels they're kind of like flat planes um so that's my biggest hang up with the the chisel thing is that it, it, it creates a weird art direction fight with like something that's really high resolution versus your stairs which are like you know <laughs> half meter increments which is ginormous you know yeah yeah i i, I think it's it's odd when you start to have too much detail worked into existing block textures because the textures in Minecraft haven't been designed for that level of interaction when it comes to something like chisels and bits. You know, like the these blocks aren't necessarily supposed to have bits carved out of them and might be designed differently by the art team if that was part of the vanilla experience. Um, but we're, we're taking the, the email a little bit too far by going all the way into chisels and bits, I think, because they, they really just wanted like an option to make more textures out of stuff. And I mm. think stuff like that is going to come further down the line. If you take a look at what they've now done with tough bricks, for example, there's a cool new chiseled block within that, which is crafted in the same way that the other chiseled textures are for consistency. But the fact that you now have new patterns emerging from old materials is a, a good way of moving the game forward into new exciting textures like this whilst keeping the mechanics consistent 
Um, so to address the other request in this email, which is the um, the, the addition of gold and iron grates and chiseled blocks of those, I honestly think people... I won't say misunderstand because that feels like a little bit too harsh, but people expect copper to behave a lot more like a resource block, like a gold block and an iron block. And so when copper has all of these other functionalities, people think, or these other like textures and building blocks, people think, well, why don't gold and iron have those? And I think copper has been implemented as a decorative block set. But because it's metal, and because we're used to metals being things that we make tools out of and like other kind of valuable blocks, players can't really get their heads around the idea that copper has more in common with quartz than it does with iron and gold, at least the way I see it. Like, even more so now, it has chiseled variants and other unique blocks. I don't think we're going to see this kind of you know, functionality or this kind of block set extended to the other resource blocks in a similar way to how we won't get iron oxidation and things like that, because it's meant to be a unique property of copper. It's meant to be that copper is implemented in this way because we don't have, you know, copper hoppers and copper tools and the kind of stuff that doesn't really have a niche in the game because people would just skip over it on the way to getting to something more effective. Um, so I think copper is meant to have things like the copper grates and oxidation levels and stuff like that as its own unique set of stuff in the same way that we don't have the same chiseled pattern apply to every single stone block across the board. It, it's good to keep them a little bit separate, a little bit more unique, so that players can understand the appeal to each one. I remember one of the mod packs I played had copper tools in it at some point. And to your point, you quickly surpassed it. Like you'd say, oh, cool, copper tools, you make one. And then like you're all of a sudden you're ready for iron or diamond or like whatever's next. You know, like you didn't have the copper tool for long enough for it to be warranted to be in the game because you just you surpassed it so quickly in terms of the progression. And I think the difference there in in Minecraft and vanilla Minecraft with there are no copper tools versus there are cop there are tools in iron and gold uh, and armor as well. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like it kind of it separates the families into like functional differences. Like I've committed myself to basically never making gold tools. Like I'll find them in nether portal chests, and I'll like <laughs> yeah, I'll occasionally I'll I'll use them for decoration, maybe. But like you know, that's all copper tools would be is just another set of gold tools that people would dismiss as useless. Like most of the time, people don't even bother crafting all of the wooden tools at the beginning of the game because there's no point in making a wooden axe. It barely makes chopping trees down any faster. Whereas a gold axe would break trees really fast, but it'd only last for about 40 logs. So you, you just kind of, you balance that stuff out. I don't see there being any benefit. And so I think copper is just meant to be what it already is. It's a decorative block type, just like quartz. It makes the most sense that way. Uh, but now it's making sense in trial chambers because there's a ton of copper blocks in these structures. They have arrived officially with 23W45A. And this also rounds off the features that were revealed for Minecraft 1.21 at this year's Minecraft Live show, minus the armadillo that was part of the mob vote, of course. So, Joel, have you had a chance to check out trial chambers yet? Not on my own. Uh, I think this is one of those things that I'm going to reserve to experiencing for myself firsthand in Minecraft. Like, I'm I'm not going to jump into the snapshots. I, I don't mind playing around with different creative blocks, but I think to go in survival as you have done and, and go um, experience a trial chamber, 
Uh, I was living vicariously and I watched your, your video, which was very good. People should go check it out. Um, but my first impression from that experience is they are massive. Mm -hmm. They're huge. Uh, I, you know, was watching you go down around corners and just like, it just kept on going and you think you're going to go down into, you know, another, we're used to, uh, strongholds and, uh, abandoned mine shafts and they're what three by three tunnels. Maybe yeah. these things are really big open rooms and there's multiple levels to them. And they're what, like 10 blocks high in some places, maybe nine. There's, um, there's more it, than that. Like there's, there's some, yeah. some of those areas, they open out into these kind of towering, like S curve style rooms where you're working your way up through three levels and each level has a new set of spawners wow. on them. So there, there are some that I think are at least like 20 or possibly even 25, 26 blocks high. Yeah. I mean, they, it, the, the experience so far for me, they look cool. Uh, they look challenging. Uh, you mentioned in the show notes that, uh, or the, the, the patch notes that there are skeletons with poison tip arrows. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was not expecting that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, th I think, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, I will not be attempting this with my typical, like, you know, uh, what do I wear? Uh, netherite boots, iron pants, elytra and a gold helmet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is not going to cut it not in so a trial chamber. You know, you're going to you're going to need to uh, re-gear and rethink what you're you're doing, because I mean, a lighter wouldn't be needed because they're not big enough to fly around. in. really, I mean, they're, they're big in that they're a large scale, but there's not enough room without smashing into things that a lighter would be a, a pain in the butt. And we're, at the risk of dying, like I, I wouldn't want to lose an elytra down there anyway. So, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. And um, I think the other thing that I, I was surprised by was how like i guess some of it is the lighting they're very bright but also how linear they are and how uh tidy they are like when we see abandoned mine shafts and we see dungeons and we see uh strongholds they're very broken down they feel very old and these are in the deepest parts of the world but like they're kind of pristine when you enter them there's not like crumbling bits and there's no like cracked versions of tough and copper so like it all seems like it's been perfectly preserved which is an odd experience too yeah yeah that, that's this the strange thing for me is that the copper in there is mostly waxed like the i think some of the copper bulbs are unwaxed so they will age while you're in there and obviously you can scrape the copper if you want to 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 remove the wax and 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 have it age again but most of the copper is either fully oxidized or it's waxed fresh copper and there is no in between and obviously that makes sense because otherwise every chamber you go to is going to end up being fully oxidized before you even find it because it takes a while to find them in survival and there might be some under your feet that you just don't know about um that like in in my case when i started up my fresh survival world to go looking for them i went back in creative mode later just straight up copied the seed and flew into spectator mode to fly down through the world and there was one directly below spawn <laughs> and i'd already gone like 600 blocks or so away to find the one that i eventually got to in a cave system but they were frequent enough that they're going to be under your feet relatively frequently and then if you find one of them the entire thing could just be tough and oxidized copper if it wasn't already waxed so i think that move is smart but it feels very different to finding something like a stronghold or like an ancient city where i think we mentioned this on a previous podcast but up until recently all of the additions have felt like ruins they've really felt like something that was left behind and has crumbled and fallen into disrepair whereas this feels 
because of how clean the layouts are, surprisingly fresh. And so whether it's just been sealed for long enough that it has remained untouched for that long, or if it's meant to be one of those built-to-last kind of structures that was left behind by previous players or some sort of mysterious civilization and has stood the test of time, uh, I mean, I guess remains to be seen. But I, I like the fact that they're a little bit cleaned up. I think it helps you understand the layout makes them intuitive to explore and as you as you explore it like you kind of get the sense of what an area is right away um it's quite bright on the inside even thanks to the fact that they've got copper bulbs everywhere and the high contrast block palette helps the layout of each room feel understandable and uncluttered you recognize your objective quite quickly when you enter one of these rooms and whether it's just okay, there's a couple of spawners in here, I need to take those down, or, okay, I have to parkour between these suspended platforms so I can get to that chest on the other side of the room. It's actually really well designed to have the player recognize their objective, recognize the potential obstacles, any traps that are in there, and understand what they have to do to complete the room. So that, like, honestly, hats off to them, because that's the kind of thing you take for granted when you go into one of those areas that probably took a fair amount of playtesting just to get it right. I couldn't hear when watching the video, just probably because of commentary and, you know, normal audio ducking for Let's Plays. Is the sound any different? Like, when you're walking in there, I'm trying to remember if Tuff has a different sound when you walk in it. I know Copper does. But I think a lot of the floor was tough blocks, not copper blocks. I'm just curious if the sound feels different when you're in a trial chamber than other structures or even just out in a cave. Honestly, the copper grates are the thing that make a biggest difference to that because their mm. their sound effects are different to regular copper blocks. They sound lighter and airier and like a little bit kind of higher register. Um, so yeah, like th those are those are probably the biggest change. And I think most of the tough bricks sound like you're just walking on like a tough equivalent of stone bricks. Like it, it's it's nothing right. too strange, but it does feel quiet in there. And I think that's mainly because there are no natural mob spawns. All of the spawning that occurs happens because of the trial spawners. Um, and so like a an ocean monument, for example, if you clear out an ocean monument and leave it unlit with all of the walls removed, but you've removed all of the water, nothing spawns inside of there because the only mob that spawns in the structure is guardians and it's the same for the trial spawners natural mob spawning completely not a thing the only mobs you fight come from the individual spawners and if the whole area is on cooldown for 30 minutes then you can just walk around and it's a surprisingly chill experience that would be weird especially at that deep in the world where you kind of you kind of have your you know ears and eyes on high alert looking for creepers dropping in and all the things that happen when you're kind of going caving through dripstone caves and lush caves where there's like ledges and things that can spawn and drop down and because they their ai just says like just get closer to the player it doesn't matter how close i am to death you know i feel like that would be a really odd experience and um and in a way uh not to skip ahead too much but like that's an interesting alternate use for the trial chamber you know like if you don't like the experience if you want to do something else with it then uh at the scale that they are that's a huge area that doesn't have mob spawns at a very unique location deep in the earth. Yeah. That you don't have to slab, that you don't have to light. So if you want to make something really cool, if you, you know, like something really spooky and dark, you know, like Moria or something, but you don't want to have to spawn proof it with like carpets or slabs or things like you, you could do whatever you want. 
and just have to keep, I guess, an eye on the scale of the build. And if it goes outside of the trial chamber uh, bounding box, then like just make sure that you're spawn, you know, spawn proofing the stuff that's either higher up or lower down or whatever. But uh, yeah, that could have some real potential. Yeah, like I, I think it could honestly easily be turned into something like a PvP arena. Like if you wanted an area to just turn into a mm. like Counter Strike style map where you're you're just within the confines of this structure. There are some rooms that even have built-in team hubs almost because there are beds in there for you to set your spawn. Um and and there's a, a specific area that's like an entrance structure um that has a couple of chests and that sort of really feels like the area that one team would start while the other team is down the other end and then you kind of meet in the middle and fight. And even keeping the trial spawners around could be a good way to mix that stuff up, right? You keep a couple that spawn slimes and suddenly those are bouncing into a fight where you're trying to pick off the opposing team. I think there's some really neat stuff that players will do with those, especially on multiplayer servers. So there's um, there's a lot of fun to be had there. And in terms of finding them in survival, because my usual approach to snapshots, if there are survival-friendly features, is to go in in survival and see how long it takes to find them. And this is the one I was looking forward to. This was kind of the perfect example of how quickly you're going to be able to locate one of these things in a in a fresh world and i went looking for them in two separate worlds on uh both a video and later on a live stream and the first one took about 45 minutes to find from a fresh start and the second one took a little longer it took about 90 minutes and exploring a large cave system is going to be recommended because obviously you have more ground covered at that point. You're able to spot them from further away. So you're not looking through noodle caves in the off chance that you'll bump into one of these things. Um, the entrance chamber from what I've seen, um, and a few people have discussed this uh, as well, seem to generate between uh, Y values of negative 20 and negative 40. So they're not as low down as ancient cities in the deep dark, but they're not as high up as quite getting to that transition between stone layers and deep slate it's another 10 blocks or so below that um and while that room is called entrance in the structure files there is absolutely no guarantee of it appearing in a convenient place so it's much more likely that you'll do what i did and just dig into the first segment of the trial chamber that you happen to spot you'll see tough bricks completely surrounding them on the outside kind of like when you roll up to a piglin bastion that's one of those big treasure cube yep. ones it's like that but suddenly in a cave and there's usually only a couple of parts of it exposed it seems like they've done the same thing they have done with spawners where it tries as hard as it can to generate them within the rock of a cave like they have to be within stone layers and there's only like a row of tough bricks peeking out that kind of give you a clue about where they are um but yeah i dug in through a the the roof of a room that immediately put me in like trial spawner territory and i think some stuff had started spawning just while i was going around the outside looking for a way in and then i was immediately fighting skeletons with poisonous arrows <laughs> and that was rough um and i'd got there through these cave systems where i'd been digging diamonds every time i saw them so i had full diamond tools full diamond armor and it was genuinely a tricky challenge. I think especially if you're a player who rarely bothers with a shield, you are going to have a bad time with any ranged mobs. Um, because yeah. especially with poison arrows, those are definitely going to be the worst like default spawn because then you've got to worry about chip damage from poison along with you know the occasional skeleton arrow heading your way. And yeah, it's it's going to be worth bringing a shield into these things and, and taking it on as a legitimate combat challenge, because otherwise it's going to catch you out. Um, 
in terms of the other stuff that was spawning in that one i think i had a few naturally had a few breezes so it was fun to face off with those and i think there were zombies further down i didn't find the slime spawning ones until much later but weirdly i think those are going to be the most genuinely useful to farm just on account of the fact that the 30 minute cooldown means that you're not meaningfully going to be farming resources from too many of these but if a bunch of you go into an area that has like three or four slime spawners and you can each generate maybe like a stack of slime balls each i can see players returning to those if you just want a stack of slime at a time and you just want to craft a bunch of sticky pistons at short notice and you don't want to afk at a slime farm or raid a swamp or whatever i think it's um it's going to make sense to uh to have slime spawners as a viable resource in there compared to most of the other types i think are like the zombies the skeletons the spiders the type of stuff that spawns in natural dungeon spawners already that are going to have more output more frequently and then there's silverfish which don't drop anything useful at all and i think that's kind of it aside from the breeze with uh you know interesting mob spawns from these things and i, I mean i can see it encouraging multiplayer team ups too like i mean like you know where you said you wanted to get extra slimes you get a couple of friends together in a multiplayer server and you all kind of split the rewards and because there's more of you you get more rewards and it would just encourage that interaction and that adventure together and uh, rather than you know setting up something passive that just it that that hermit idea of like you know everybody goes and everybody wants slime balls and they just they don't talk to one another they just go build slime farms separately <laughs> so everybody has their own slime when really it's you know it'd be more fun to kind of do this together at, at least at the early game when you don't necessarily have the the time in to grind out the the slime farm one thing that I noticed when watching your video was uh, I was right with you when you were just like, how do I get into this thing? And I was like, yeah, there's no real clear entrance. And I think that is where I, I kind of want them to be a little bit broken down on, on an edge or two, like it, to invite you in rather than just like, do I break in? Is this the right place to break in? Am I breaking into like the boss chamber? Like what is this going to be a bad time or an easy time? Like, how does that pan out? Do you think that the generation would benefit from multiple entrance jigsaw pieces you know like maybe ones to the east and very far down ones on the south but it's very high up in the world maybe another one is is on the west but it's in the middle like would would it benefit that way to maybe have it be a more gradual experience you're not like potentially dropping into something you're not ready for maybe yeah i i do think if there was a way for them to be exposed to the caves and having like a very definite this is your way in then mm. that'd be great. Like, I feel like if you're able to generate a, an entrance where it carves out the rock around it and creates an air pocket instead mm. of, like, mm -hmm. as as the ones I have found have been just purely embedded in the rock, um, I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense to do that. Like, whenever we... Uh, when when we did this on a live stream, Azuma invited myself, uh, Cubfan135, iJevin, and uh, Nembon from the, the Mojang dev team now. Um, we, we all went in in multiplayer and, and tackled a couple of these things. We always started at that entrance room, but we were, of course, warping there and finding them using commands. And we dug out an area by that front door that it has in order to get in in the first place and, and have like a staging area to collect equipment from, you know, spawning it in in creative before we went in and those were always just embedded in the rock somewhere and it felt weird for them to be the formalized entrance to the place and and for the the structure files to name it an entrance <laughs> even though there's no guarantee of it appearing in any kind of convenient place so yeah i i, th I think maybe having multiple of those on different areas 
it would also be kind of nice if there were a few areas within them that repeated that were staging areas for players because once again that makes it really cool to set up as a pvp arena after the fact like so you can have like red team spawn here blue team spawn there right i think that that mm. would that would make perfect sense to me i like the fact that they are to a certain extent asymmetrical but i feel like some symmetry would be really useful for players who want to do more with it i suppose you could build one out yourself once you knew what they looked like but even then it feels like it'd be a, a good opportunity to to do stuff like that I did get a little turned around watching the video yeah. of, of you running around the trial chamber just because of how repetitive the patterns are. And I'm sure that's by design. Like it's meant to be a little bit confusing for people. And I'm, it's probably one of those things that I would be better if I was in it versus watching someone else play it. Uh, I, I generally have a better kind of sense of direction and sense of where I am when I'm the one controlling everything. But I, uh, I was looking at the trial spawners and I mean, I mentioned earlier that the, the poison tipped arrows are no joke. But I like the fact that they give you an indication as to what's coming from the spawner, not just from what's spinning around inside of it, but also the blocks that are around it. Yes. And I remember you making a note of, I think it was Mossy Cobble was the zombie, Bone Blocks, and Podzel, I think maybe was the skeletons, or was that the skeletons with the with the uh, poison tipped arrows? Yeah, what, what, what I have learned is if there is a red mushroom next to it, it means poison. So it'll do that ah. with a cobweb one that's obviously indicating spiders, but if there's red mushrooms nearby, that's how you know it's cave spiders. And oh, so the red gotcha. mushrooms are there to indicate bone blocks means, uh, yeah, poison tipped arrow skeletons. Um, yeah. So that's neat. Like, I, I think there's there's some really good symbology in that. And that led to me in the video because I hadn't fully read the changelog wondering if you swap those blocks around, do they end up spawning different stuff? Is it related to like what blocks are nearby? And of course, no, it's hard coded in the, the dungeon layout, but it, it gave me kind of a reason to mess around with them and see if anything else was was possible. And I I like the idea that even though these are fixed set setups for spawners, you can still modify the blocks around them once you know what's going on in there. And that might potentially be a way for people to box them off. And if you want to turn that into a, a little survival base because there's no mob spawns inside the structure, then you can wall those spawners off and maybe set up little farms around them that will just gather stuff for you while you're in the base doing busy work. The whole way that they are set up, the fact that they're so close together and the, I guess the radius of detecting a player is either the same as or larger than a regular dungeon spawner. It's larger. I did it's feel like, like... It's 14 oh, okay. blocks, I think. Or, or is oh, wow. The, is a regular spawner 16 or 12? I forget. 16. Yeah, yeah. Six, okay, 16, so, yeah. so, so it's, about the, it's about the same, maybe actually slightly less. Um, but the fact that mm. it scales with additional players is really the, the thing that differentiates these oh, from, uh, right. from, from yeah. normal spawners. Like in, in multiplayer, from, from what I have gathered, right, in, in single player, you end up with... A spawner generates maybe one or two skeletons per wave and in multiplayer it more or less doubles that for each individual player it increases the total number of mobs that will spawn overall and it will increase the amount of mobs it allows to exist simultaneously and so you can run up to one of these things and it will generate five skeletons because there are three of you let's say and mm -hmm. Those are actually parameters that if you're messing around with them and, and, and adjusting their data values, you can change those individually. So you can tell it to only spawn 10 skeletons, but spawn all 10 of them at once. Or you can tell it to spawn 10 skeletons one at a time. 
and you can adjust those values behind the scenes. They obviously have defaults for their use in these structures, but I think it's quite smart that they've managed to make them that configurable for players who want to do more with them in, uh, you know, custom maps and stuff like that. I can even see data pack, you know, changes to them uh, where you can just change the the number of spawns, the frequency, like removing the cooldown or reducing it to something similar to a normal spawner. I can see some people that just want to, you know, have these resources around and 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 experiment with what it would be like to, as you mentioned, like build a base in a spawn proof area that's just littered with spawners that you can use to collect bones or, you know, whatever else you might want. Uh, I mean, obviously you're not going to get a lot from zombies, I guess XP, you know, like if it's early game, that could be kind of fun. Um, they, the whole kind of setup reminds me of the vault spawner challenges from Iskal 85's vault hunter mod mm-hmm. pack. That yeah. I've seen a lot. It, it has that kind of vibe. Obviously it's a very different decor, but, but it has that kind of vibe where you're running through something with a different, task like you're looking for loot chests and you're looking for decorated pots and you're kind of trying exploring the area but then you're forced to deal with these mobs that are spawning in uh with different criteria than what you're used to in the overworld which is just light levels and and you're getting specific mobs you know and i think that's that's interesting and i it's a really cool twist like the whole thing feels new and refreshing but still feels very minecraft you know like they haven't gone outside the box too much uh if anything i feel like they've taken a page from minecraft dungeons uh the decorated pots with loot tables remind me of minecraft dungeons for sure yeah and and some of the rewards from those are actually pretty good like it's usually like copper ingots and amethyst shards and stuff like that so you know you can craft a spyglass on the fly if you want to um but i got a full (laughs) diamond block from one of those pots at one point and i was surprised by that they did say of course that the loot in these areas is currently like you know very much in the the trial period that that they're trying to figure that stuff out none of it is final yet but it's sort of along the right lines. They feel rewarding in the sense that, yeah, you're getting a few precious resources for something other than mining. Um, and it can sometimes be useful stuff to help you through. Like on my first run through, my shield took a beating because of the amount of skeletons I was blocking. And so I needed to look for resources to repair a shield. I found a couple of broken shields in chests later, but I, I found the room with the tree in it which is the entrance, and then I found a decorated pot, I think, that had a couple of iron ingots in it, and I went, great, I can repair my shield, let's do this. And I made another one. And so, once again, it's that idea of being able to go through these things and salvage items from them that are useful in completing the experience itself. As long as, you know, you're you're dealing with kind of basic levels of equipment going in. Because I don't think, unless I was really sprinting my way through, trying to grab all of that stuff and I knew my way around... I'd really be able to go through those without gear. Like, I, I feel like you need to grab some stuff, gear up, um, and then go in, as opposed to trying to salvage everything from within the trial itself. Um, but maybe that's just a, an inexperienced thing. Maybe once you know what to expect a little more, then you'll you'll know what to look for. Um, either way, I think it's, it's a, a fun setup. And I want to bring in our second email uh, for today because we can talk about the other stuff the trial spawners give you, and notably the trial keys. So this email came in from Tom S, and the subject was the key to improving peaceful mode. 
Hi, Johnny and Joel. The new trial key item is shrouded in mystery, but I think its purpose could be quite simple. I think the trial key could be used to instantly restart a trial spawner, meaning players could skip the 30-minute cooldown and even build contraptions to activate trial spawners however they like. When considering the possibilities of what a player could do with a trial chamber and trial spawner, the 30-minute cooldown seems like a bit of a crutch. What if the only way to activate the trial spawners is by using keys? What if you could find them in chests and pots in the chambers? I think this would also make the trial chamber a great solution for peaceful mode players who want to farm mob drops and optionally introduce combat to players in peaceful mode. Hostile mobs would spawn in peaceful mode only when a trial spawner was activated by a key. Peaceful players would know when and where and what and how many mobs will spawn for them to fight and farm for resources. Keep up the great work. I started listening to the podcast over two years ago now, and this is my favorite Minecraft content. Listening to speculation and reactions to now old game additions is always fun. Tom died from a horde of baby zombies in peaceful mode by accidentally activating a trial spawner after finding a trial key. At least the baby zombies aren't poison tipped. That would be bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it occurs to me that you can spawn stuff with uh equipment under like the data that you can give it like I, I don't know if you can spawn stuff riding other things like if you could always have it spawn uh spider jockeys or baby zombies riding chickens but you can i think if, if you can program it to give a skeleton a specific tipped arrow then you could have baby zombies with iron axes or something and then you would be in trouble yeah no kidding no kidding i i think in response to tom's email that in the general game, like normal and hard mode, I think the keys will remain trial spawner rewards. I don't think you're going to be able to find those in decorated pots. Although, I mean, the loot table isn't final, so like you never know. Uh, but I do like that idea of allowing peaceful players to activate the spawners. I know it kind of goes against the idea of what peaceful players are expecting, and and it's not peaceful mode if you can spawn in skeletons, but if it's under control of the player and if the player knows that that's going to happen, I don't know how you communicate that to the player. Uh, if the only thing that they've ever played is peaceful mode. So there's that. But if you were going to use these for farming resources and you didn't necessarily want to fight the mobs, but you wanted to trap them, you could dig out the whole thing and prepare your farm or trap or whatever you want to do before you even use the key. And and the whole thing could just be safe and you could still really avoid combat. You would just be introducing hostile mobs and the drops that you get from them into into the game by using the trial key. The trial key is really intriguing to me. I've got no real idea what they would be used for. Although Tom's idea of in a regular survival game that's not peaceful, using the trial key to skip the 30 minute cooldown is potentially good. I don't know whether then you need to get another trial key as a reward. So if it's just that constant loop, then it means that you're not really going to be able to, well, you can farm, I guess, the resources, but you're going to have to interact with the spawner every time if you have to use the trial key to yeah. um, to do it, unless you can use it with a, a, a dispenser. You know, like if you can put a dispenser facing down into a trial spawner, and then have your keys automatically collected and automatically funneled into your dispenser, then maybe. But like, I, I don't know if Mojang would go that road. I'm really curious to see what the trial keys are going to do. 
Yeah, me too. Like, I think this is one of the big mysteries that they are leaving behind, but the fact that they've implemented them now means that they, I expect, have a solution for what they're used for in 1.21. Like, they've planned for what this is going to be. Because I, I, I can only imagine leaving these for, like, you know, not doing anything until maybe uh, uh, the future updates, like 1.22 or whatever. Absurd move. <laughs> like, don't, don't do that. If that's what they have planned, please no. Um, but but I do think it, it'd be an interesting thing to to see what they they're actually used for. I like the idea of them immediately refreshing a trial spawner because then yeah that makes them farmable but requires some player interaction, which I think is a good thing. That's again the effort versus reward balance in action, and especially if there are unique mobs that can spawn from these, like the breeze, like slimes, then you can potentially use that for a new way of farming this stuff that just requires you to interact with some of the newer areas. Um, I briefly looked it up on the Minecraft wiki, which does have a bunch of player-submitted content related to these newer snapshots, and it seems like you can find trial keys in those corridor pots already. Um, there's a very small chance of them because there's obviously a larger oh. loot table, um, but like a... A regular trial spawner has a 50% chance to drop one of these keys. The corridor pots have them in quantities of 1 through 3, but it is a 3.6% chance of getting one. I also found at least one in a chest when I was exploring, so it is possible to find them as loot other than from the spawners themselves, but the main source of them is going to be from the spawners. And looking at the design of the sprite for them, the skull that forms the head of the key does seem like the skull that is printed on the outside of spawner cages. And so the idea that it interacts with a mob spawner makes a great deal of sense, but it also comes from a mob spawner in the first place. So that's kind of potentially the iconography lining up there if they're not meant to interact with these things again. Um, I, I like the idea of them being made available in peaceful mode. I think that's a very smart idea and you know, giving the player a, a, a means to acquire them first makes a lot of sense and then could obviously like loop back on itself if you end up getting trial keys from the spawner. You could reactivate it straight away, farm more slimes, and, and that makes a great deal of sense. The other things I have heard people say about these are, of course, the usual, what if it has something to do with the portal in the ancient city ruins? Right. You know, that kind of stuff, right? So there's naturally going to be a lot of mystery around these until we know their functionality, but the fact that it is a trial key works both ways. It's both the reward for a trial, but it also starting a trial again or being involved in a different type of trial is is also kind of intriguing about them. I don't know whether they would be used in, in something else. I feel like I want that, but the fact that it's called a trial key, as you mentioned, feels like it's going to be centric to the trial chamber experience and, and things that happen within that. Um, I would like to see it be able to be a tool for other spawners because I believe spa other spawners, they have the same skull. They just don't have the colored corners, right? Like that's yeah. the difference between like a regular dungeon spawner and a trial spawner. And it would be neat, again, kind of pie in the sky, th you know, thought like, hey, you found a zombie spawner that you don't really care about a zombie spawner. Maybe you want it to be a skeleton spawner. It'd be nice if a trial key could change that. Like re-rolled you know? it? That's like you re-rolled re it? Interesting. Or maybe not... Maybe not let you choose it, but maybe say you'll have a chance to roll one of the other ones. You know, cave spider, uh, a skeleton, zombie, 
whatever. That could be cool. If it's not like a, you pick it, it's more like a, you've trial, you've completed the challenge. You can reroll the spawner. You may get what you want. You may get silverfish. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> at which point you have to go get another trial key and try again. You know, that could be kind of fun. I like that though. Imagine going to one of those abandoned mine shafts that has yes. uh, like five or six cave spider spawners and mm -hmm. changing all of them to be skeletons <laughs> and then just being like, okay, bone meal sorted for the remainder of <laughs> my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that, that, that has potential. I've seen a few people speculating about them being a key to like a new type of treasure chest that they might include so that to get the ultimate reward from the trial chambers, you would need to unlock this chest. And the question then becomes, okay, for multiplayer, you can get five or six of these keys to pop out. Is there only one chest? Does each player opening it get different loot? Sort of like an ender chest, but for the game rather than for the player? Like, that'd be a kind of interesting function. Like, if you use the key on it once, it opens, you get to take out anything that's in there, but then when it closes, it regenerates the loot inside it, and then you have to use another key on it to open it again. And so you end up with a ton of keys from this experience, but players each have to use them individually. Um, th there's potential for stuff like that. Um, potentially even a boss room that it could lead to, although that then you have to create a boss room which players can't get into by any other means, which means introducing more unbreakable blocks, which has a mm. lot more gameplay ramifications. Otherwise, people are just going to mine through the wall and spare the keys for whatever reason, right? Um but yeah, like ultimately from from Tom's email, I like the concept of them being valuable to peaceful players. And it kind of turns the idea of trial chambers being a combat experience on its head, but then allows peaceful players to participate in combat much more voluntarily. Um, and considering that you don't get any spawns in trial chambers in the first place, that's kind of an interesting concept, right? Would trial chambers be able to override the mob spawning requirements of peaceful mode which is that you don't have hostile mobs considering that regular spawners can't it does help them feel a bit more unique in that way hmm. speaking of combat how did you find the breeze uh chaotic at least at first it's it's kind of a challenge when you don't know a new mob you don't know how it behaves and they move very quickly uh, they sort of run away from you a little bit in the same way that skeletons might in order to get at range and then if you're bearing down on one of them, they can sometimes leapfrog you and they will travel, you know, 10 or 15 blocks in a jump. Like it's not just like frogs where they kind of hop and then there's there's quite a high arc, but it doesn't travel particularly far. They will go like they can be on the other side of the room and you can cheese them pretty easily if they get stuck in a corner. But they really are a, a mob that you you struggle to reach you're kind you're fighting against the wind <laughs> as though there's like a strong wind and you're trying to walk somewhere because the wind charges are knocking you back they seem to fire them more frequently the closer you get in the same way that skeletons fire arrows at them at you more frequently if you're up close um and yeah the knockback to those is disorienting especially like you need to find somewhere to duck behind cover if you're trying to, you know, eat and recover health during one of these fights. And then, you know, the wind charges will knock you around a little bit. If they don't hit you, they'll at least explode on a nearby block and push you. And it gets kind of disorienting in a good way, I think. Um, the wind charges also seem to be strong enough to repel projectiles like arrows. And so you've got to time your shots to have a chance at hitting them in the first place. Otherwise, the arrow just kind of bounces off and it gets redirected, um, which is a really neat feature, I think. Um, 
the other thing about the breeze is wherever you fight them the spawners generate in these arena rooms which have dispensers attached to the walls and there are buttons on either side so if a wind charge hits one of those it's going to activate the buttons and the dispenser has potentially a bucket of water in there which can make it harder to navigate the floor they can throw snowballs uh, they can shoot fire charges. There are even one or two that have lingering potions in there, some of which are health, some of which are poison. So depending on whether you're hitting like the dispensers on the walls or not, sometimes you can have the sudden pool of poison around you that you're, you're dealing with, almost like a, a dragon's breath kind of projectile in the Ender Dragon fight. So that there's some really uh, neat dynamics to those fights, which aren't necessarily native to the breeze itself but they're native to the environment in which you find it and that enhances the fight in a really interesting way i like how they look and i like that it's a bit of a bait and switch because when you see it you kind of think oh this looks like it's part of the blaze family but then it behaves mm -hmm. entirely differently like watching you yeah. fight it on the video it's like it is faster it's all over the place it reminds me of a bat almost in terms of how it kind of jumps around and does <laughs> yeah stuff. A little like bit. it's, little it's bit. a little a little bit more random which i thought again it's good like it gives you something new it's not just like a slow moving zombie or a slow moving i mean blaze are kind of difficult to deal with especially early game but like they don't really move around in a way that makes them hard to hit like you can really kind of deal with where they're going to be if anything the thing that's tough about a blaze is how it hovers up maybe out of your view because yeah. you're like you're in a hallway you know but mm -hmm. with the with the breeze uh bouncing around and, and shooting stuff at you I, I thought it was really unique uh again i couldn't quite hear all the noises but it sounds like it's got like a whoosh noise when it shoots the projectile and the the, the explosion is the knockback and it sounds like there's some wind and things and i like the animation of the um I guess it's just the air that's meant to be rotating around it. You know, like it does make it look like a, a whirly gig, like that kind of an elemental. It reminds me of the elementals from World of Warcraft. They were basically like little tornadoes <laughs> that you'd have mm -hmm. to you'd yeah. have to fight. Uh, that kind of stuff is, is really neat. Um, does it drop anything? Did you know if it drops anything? Uh, doesn't drop anything yet. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also supposed to drop XP and currently doesn't. Right. Um, but that's that's naturally going to be a bug. And yeah, there's no drops in terms of items at the moment, but I presume they will add something in future because like the mob itself is fun to fight and obviously the arena adds a lot to the experience. But aside from the trial spawner rewards, you'd imagine it would have some kind of significance. They could leave it with nothing for now and I think it would still be fine because you are there for other experiences you're there mm. for the loot and the trial chamber rewards and everything so it dropping nothing for the minute would be okay but i would like to see them do something with that and it can't be the equivalent of like blaze powder because you couldn't have it then make eyes of ender because you'd be able to skip the nether and the uh the progression to the end so right i think it's going to be unrelated to that and will have some other kind of use but Either way, I think it's it's a, a solid addition. And yeah, like like you, I, I enjoy the design a great deal. I think they look very, very smart. I hope it has a unique drop as well, because I think a lot of the additional mobs we've had recently have been mobs that assist the player rather than provide drops for the player by death, right? You know, you've got yeah. uh, goats, you've got sniffers, that kind of interaction. And I think that since this is a hostile mob, there's a guilt-free opportunity to kill it and farm it <laughs> if you want mm -hmm. to. And I, and I think having a unique drop from it could be really interesting. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, you know, we've got blaze rods. Maybe we have breeze 
not rods, but something of that a, breeze balls, you know, like, or 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 wind breeze chimes. eyebrows. I want this thing to drop its eyebrows, <laughs> wearable. Uh, yeah, for, <laughs> as, a, as a helmet. Yeah, <laughs> it 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 could it could be interesting to have some sort of wind related thing and i don't know what that looks like you know like i I really have no idea and something else i guess we could we could look at is um while a lot of the armor templates you know uh are out there for exploration and and whatnot there's a possibility that sometimes these things could be unique if you wanted a specific pattern you know like a, a spiral pattern uh you could have maybe that could be something that could drop i would want something more useful but for players that are really into the armor trims, then maybe a unique armor armor trim coming from the breeze. Because doesn't the Elder Guardian drop an armor trim? That's one of them, right? Yes, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. So they the, they could be something to that challenge. Although they'd be relatively farmable just based on the frequency of the breeze that you'd find. But maybe it could be a slim drop chance. It could be like a ten percent drop or something like that. And that would that would make it worth farming these things a couple of times for for single player. Yeah, like I I think the breeze is interesting. The wind charge thing especially it pushes entities around too it's not just players so aside from you know the arrows that you're trying to fire at it or whatever any lit tnt in the area could be blown away by one of those wind charges and explode somewhere else i am interested in the possibility of taking these to the nether and having them maybe aggro on some snow golems or something like that in order to move items around without water because i think that'd be a really interesting thing for let's say a piglin bartering farm or something like that currently you can do that with pistons and ice uh paths and stuff like that but i do think it'd be an interesting option for players to move stuff around using the breeze it's certainly a challenging build to uh, get a couple of those to something on the nether roof and and have them uh, work for your piglin bartering farm even Either way, hopefully this has been a fun and uh, informative discussion on Trial Chambers for everybody, and if you've had a chance to check them out this week, we would love to hear what people think via emails, so feel free to write into the show and let us know. But for now, that's going to wrap up our episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find some more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every week, and you can tune in for our monthly Minecraft audio hangout, where players can let us know what they've been up to in Minecraft this month. We're currently at 327 patrons. We've welcomed at least one more person in from last week. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen to it. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Really, wherever you get a podcast, you can find The Spawn Chunks. Be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is at thespawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is available to our paid members. That's on the Patreon page. And that is where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast.
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online can be found at joelduggan.com, including a link to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. This week, we actually talked about upcoming holiday movies that you might want to plan for. It was the Pass or Play Holiday Edition game with Brock at Vola. That was a lot of fun. I am Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, building the Citadel Minecraft server in Westdale on the weekends, and normally Lego on Fridays, but I've run out of Lego sets, and Satisfactory is updating this week, so look for a return of that game on the stream. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and your free trial starts now.